Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday. It is November the 18th, and as always, thanks so much for joining me. Hope you're all able to enjoy your weekend. I know I sure did. Uh, I saw the Blazers game Friday night, uh, hung out at Save on Food Saturday afternoon to help out the Salvation Army, uh, crushed some karaoke, if you haven't heard, on the morning show on Saturday night, and then uh, I got to be in the Christmas Christmas parade downtown yesterday, so I would call it a successful weekend for myself, and I uh, hope you guys are all feeling the same way about your weekend as well. I have a good show lined up today. In a few short minutes, I'll be joined by my usual Monday morning guest, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. We are set to talk about uh, driving with cannabis in your vehicle. Is it, a, it is a legal substance, but is it a good idea to have it with you in your car? And sticking with the cannabis theme, we'll also be talking about the BC Court of Appeal hearing, which is happening this week on dispensaries that want to operate without a license. In the back half of today's show, I will be joined by the Economic Development and Tourism Manager of the City of Merritt, Will George. We will discuss a few things going on in their community, including a new hotel tax. Merritt City Council voted to have city staff explore a mandatory tax for businesses offering accommodations. It is something that used to be in place in their community, but was removed over some concern about how it was administered. But now uh, Council is taking the steps necessary to put it back in place. So I'll be talking with Will about that and the, the process that is ongoing to set up that hotel tax, so that will be coming up in a little bit. And to end off the show, I will be joined by Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane. The Blazers went 1-1 one and one over the weekend with a one nothing win over Prince George Cougars at home on Friday night before losing to, uh, to the arch-rival Rockets in Kelowna 4-3 on Saturday. John Keane here with the call in Kelowna. Kelowna to center, it's Lewiski, gaining Cassie, looking for Swetlikov, hopped over his stick. Jake Poole after the puck, got it back behind the net, centering pass in front, knocked away. Who's puck? Who wants it? Poole, who can find it? Blazers on Yabuchi, still loose, around the save, rebound, he scores! trail for a third time in this game as Svetlikov banged home a rebound. That was just a puck just rolling around in the slot and Duran made one save. Thought he got his pad down but it slid underneath him there in the side. That was the game winner scored on a Saturday night by Rockets forward Alex Svetlikov. Uh, he scored in the third period to give the Rockets the 4-3 to lead and they never looked back from that point on uh, to hand. That, that was actually the Rockets first win in five tries over the Blazers this season. So the Blazers still sitting at 4-1 and over the Rockets on the year so not too much to be disappointed in even though they, they probably wanted to get the win Saturday night. Uh, you know you can't win them all. Head coach Sean Cluston was on the NL Morning News today and he spoke on the team's play on Saturday night. I think there's a few things. I think they're a very hungry team. I mean, we'd, we'd beaten them a number of times. Um, it was their building. I mean, most teams will play with a little bit more energy. The home crowd gives them some energy. I thought they were uh, the more energetic team for the most part. Um, the back-to-backs, they didn't play Friday. Um, you know, we did. We looked a little bit tired and, uh, so, you know, a, a slight concern there. Um, it's not like our schedule's been crazy, but it was uh, our fifth game in nine nights. I think that you know we addressed that a little bit after the game. You know, the players, 
really need to make sure that they're taking care of themselves at this point of the year. We have a lot of hockey between now and, and the Christmas break. It comes real fast right now. It's, it's three games and, and four games every week. So, you know, the rest, um, you know, taking care of themselves, um, you know, seeing Toledo if they need a little bit of therapy, um, hydration, nutrition, all those things are extremely important right now because the games come fast. Yeah, the Rockets do have three games, or sorry, the Blazers do have three games here this weekend. Uh, that'll start uh, with Wednesday against Seattle. So three games here this week. Uh, despite the loss on Saturday night in Kelowna, our boys are 14-7 and on the season and still sit in first place in the BC division. They have a four-point lead on Vancouver with a game in hand. Connor Zary and Zane Franklin each have 30 points on the season and sit fifth and sixth, respectively, in WHL scoring. Uh, so like we said earlier, you can't win them all, and the Blazers are still four one against Kelowna this season. So John will join me at the end of today's show to talk about this past weekend and maybe even look ahead to Wednesday's game in Seattle. Now, before we get started, I did want to share a quick public service announcement with you. I think this is important. So Harvard Medical School completed a study that it says... Thinking too much can cause you to die younger. Yeah, the study was done by Harvard researchers where they studied people ranging in age from their 60s to 70s and uh, compared that to those people who lived to be 100 years or older. It found that people who died before they reached their mid-80s had lower levels of a protein called rest in their brain, leading them to die sooner. Rest essentially tells the brain to calm down by turning off genes that cause brain activity. By comparing the brains of people who died in their 60s and 70s to those who lived to be 100 or older, it found that those who died younger had lower levels of rest in their brain. It does note, though, that uh, you know the neural activity comes in many forms, but that does include thinking. Researchers are also hoping that these findings will help one day treat conditions caused by too much brain activity, such as Alzheimer's. So there's a little more to this than just a, a fun fact to find out. Uh, so there you go. When you're laying in bed at night just pondering life's problems and you're uh, you know looking at the clock saying, oh, it's 1 o'clock, if I sleep now, I'll get 7 hours. Or, okay, it's 3 o'clock, if I fall asleep now, I'll get 5 hours of sleep. Uh, you know, that happens to me probably more often than I would like. And, and every hour that goes by, goes by uh, could mean a little bit less time when you're older. So that's my message for people out there today. Don't think too much. Just... Just do it, you know? When you're looking to make a decision, go with your gut because it might help you to live longer. All right, you might want to think twice, though, when it comes to driving around with weed in the car, and I'll be chatting with Vacuum and Law's Kyla Lee about that after this. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday, November the 18th. I hope you all uh, had a lovely weekend. Uh, marijuana has now been legal in Canada for just over a year, and many are kind of still figuring out the do's and don'ts when it comes to cannabis. Uh, one question that many people may not even think about is, what does the law say about cannabis in the car? Well, here to talk about this right now is Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Kyla, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. How are you doing here today? I'm good. It's a, a gray Monday morning in Vancouver. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's lots of those on the way here as we get ready for winter too. So I better get used to it, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's just start with that very simple question: What does the law say about cannabis in your vehicle? 
It says that you cannot have uh, cannabis in your vehicle unless it is uh, still sealed and unopened in the official Health Canada packaging out of reach of the driver. So it's pretty much a, a very black and white answer when you say, um, you know, you just basically don't have anything. If you're not coming directly from the, the cannabis store, uh, maybe just don't have it anywhere near you. Put it in the trunk or anything along those lines? Put it in the trunk, put it in the glove box, put it in your purse in the back seat, somewhere where it's out of sight and out of reach. Is there any concern you say, uh, you know, put it in the glove box as a possibility, but uh, is it allowed to be within reach? Because technically, I guess the driver would be able to reach it if it was sitting in the glove box. If it's in the glove box, it's it's in a compartment that's sealed off from the driver, and that, that would be enough to be considered out of reach as far as, as any concern about any, I guess, temptation from having a bunch of cannabis buds sitting in your vehicle, as absurd as that sounds. Um, is this something that you know you're hearing a lot of people maybe getting charged for? Is is having cannabis in their vehicle within reach, within the driver's possible possession? I guess is that uh, is this a, a scenario that is coming up pretty often? This does happen relatively commonly, um, especially with people who have uh, taken their cannabis out because they've gone to a party or uh, they've only consumed a portion of it and they're and they're transporting the rest and they don't realize that they're committing a violation of BC's cannabis laws by moving the cannabis in their vehicle when it's not uh, not sealed in the packaging and, and put out of out of reach. And I mean, the best advice that anybody can give somebody is if the police can't see it, then they don't know that. That, uh, that it's you know opened and 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 that there's any problem there. So whenever you have it in your car, you're always best to just keep it out of sight. So if you're pulled over, nobody notices that it's there. So essentially, it's the basically the same as alcohol, right? If if you, you're you're not just bringing it right from the the liquor store itself, then always kind of throw it in the trunk or in the back seat to make sure that uh, you know it's not uh, anywhere potentially even near near the driver. Um, you know that that's basically the same rules from what I understand. Absolutely. But there was a recent case that involved uh, somebody who was transporting their uh, cannabis in their vehicle, uh, not on a public roadway, um, and they were ticketed, but they were successful in challenging the ticket in court. So there are some nuances to the law. So how, how does that work? Because they're on private property that the, the law doesn't necessarily apply in that case? Exactly. The law only applies on public roadways. So if you're in your driveway or if you're um, on some private road up in the middle of the backcountry, um, then there's no prohibition currently in effect in British Columbia for having the cannabis um, uh, in the vehicle and accessible to you. Um, of course, you still want to keep it out of sight and out of, out of view of police officers because if they ticket you, you're going to have to go through the expense and the effort of going to court to challenge the ticket rather than just put it away where it can't be seen and not get the ticket in the first place. All right. So even if you are on private property and you can potentially get away with it, it's probably still better off to, to take the precaution and throw it in the trunk and not worry about it. Absolutely. And we're not talking here about, you know, a huge uh, burden on people that's asking them to do something that's inconsistent with their charter rights uh, to protect themselves from wrongful police action. We're, we're talking about people just exercising a little bit of self-preservation and common sense about how to exercise self-preservation. Perfect. Well, yeah, it seems pretty straightforward. It's just a matter, I guess, of, of remembering to take the steps to make sure you're, you're not uh, in any kind of violation. I think, like I said, it's the exact same when it comes to alcohol, right? So just uh, make 
make sure if you have the substance on you that uh, you're, you're taking the proper steps to make sure it's uh, out of out of sight, out of mind, like you had mentioned. Uh, here with Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Now, uh, we did also talk about, um, you know, talking about this uh, BC Court of Appeal hearing, which is going to be happening this week, uh, set to talk about dispensaries that want to operate without a license. Can you tell me sort of what, what's going on here right now? Uh, why, why is this uh, coming to court right now? This is the appeal of a judgment that was rendered by the Chief Justice of the BC Supreme Court earlier this year. Um, after cannabis was legalized, there were a number of stores, primarily in Vancouver, but there are some, I'm aware, in Kamloops and other locations uh, that are operating without any provincial licenses. And the government gave these stores a bit of a grace period to, uh, to you know, shut down and transition to the legal, uh, to the legal services, and lots of them refused to do it. And there were a number of reasons for it. Some refused to do it because they couldn't sell products that were uh, available for legal users. Some uh, refused to do it because they didn't qualify uh, for licenses because of you know uh, prior criminal history or involvement uh, on the part of the people running the stores. Uh, some refused to do it just out of principle. They didn't feel like they should have to be licensed um, because cannabis is now legal. So there were all these stores that continued to operate uh, without following provincial laws. And they challenged... Uh, the the process that uh, the city had used to shut them down, uh, arguing that it was uh, that it was unlawful and that it uh, violated patients' rights to have reasonable access to cannabis medicine, and they were unsuccessful. Uh, they appealed that decision, and the appeal is being heard this week in the BC Court of Appeal. Now, do you do you think this is something that uh, you know the the store owners have a chance to? to have, uh, you know, kind of see ruled in their favor? I mean, when we're talking about, uh, you know, getting a license to operate a cannabis store, it seems pretty straightforward that if you want to operate uh, a dispensary, that you should have to have a license to do so. I mean, what, do you think that there is a possibility that this, uh, this um, decision can be reversed? There is a possibility that the decision can be reversed, although it's going to be a big uphill battle. Um, and the, the possibility rests in this argument about access to medicine. There have been a number of, of court challenges that have been successful in the past involving people who use medical cannabis who didn't have reasonable access to it um, through the legal channels prior to the re uh, legalization of recreational cannabis. Um, and they were successful, you know, whether it was the form that they were that they were acquiring it in because it was only sold in in dried bud form through uh, Health Canada, or whether it was uh, whether it was having access to stores and and having the ability to buy it uh, there. There have been supply problems after legalization, and the legal stores also don't cater to every type of product because not everything has been uh, and continues to not be recreationally available. Um, so people who require edible products, people who require specialized project products might be not, uh, unable to get those without the illegal stores. But the hurdle they're going to have to overcome is that they didn't take any steps to participate in the licensing process. They didn't get a license and then just sell products that weren't licensed as well. They just flouted the law. And that's going to be, the, I think, the biggest hurdle. Um, so when you're talking about a number of these operators, it sounds like one of the bigger uh, arguments that they're making is talking about medicine and, and you know having cannabis used as a medicinal product. So they're, they're selling it as that. I guess, is there... Is there other stores that are involved in this, those who would just be selling it on a recreational basis, or is that just, uh, I guess, the argument that's being made is that they're trying to provide uh, medicine and make it accessible to people who need it? 
really the hook is is this medicine angle because as recreational cannabis goes you don't have a charter protected right to have access to it whereas the courts have recognized that there is a charter protected right in your right to life liberty and security of the person to a form of medicine that's most beneficial to you and to reasonable access to that but you can't say you know i don't take recreational cannabis but i only want to consume my cannabis in in edible gummy form Uh, i have a right to have it in that form the government's going to say no and the courts are going to say no that's not how recreational laws work um I guess uh, this is this a, a, a issue. Do you think moving forward at all, or is this because you know, and like you had mentioned, you know, the number of these uh, places that were operating without a license, a lot of them have been like raided or shut down. That's been the kind of the case here in Kamloops. Those that were operating without licenses are no longer operating. Um, you know, is that uh, is something that we're seeing across the province that most of these places that might not have licenses are no longer operating, or are there a number of uh, these places still outstanding? Do you have any idea? The vast majority of places that we're operating without licenses are now shut down, whether they've been raided or whether they've been, uh, they've had their business licenses that the cities have granted, pulled, and then the landlords have kicked them out. The vast majority of them are gone. There are some that are still uh, sticking out there and, and sticking it out for the purposes of these arguments and to make a point uh, about, uh, about their, you know, their personal beliefs in relation to access to cannabis products. Um, I think the most notable example is a store run uh, in Vancouver by Dana Larson, the very famous cannabis activist uh, that was just raided a couple weeks ago. And he said that he would have his shelves fully stocked and be back up in operation by 420 the day of the raid. And he was. (laughs) Well, um, so this obviously still has some uh, merit moving forward. This isn't just a historical case looking back on on places that used to exist or used to be operating, but it does have some, uh, some implications here moving forward for those that are operating still without a license. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're, the stores that are involved in this challenge are the ones that are sticking it out there and are still uh, in operation. All right. Well, definitely be something to keep an eye on. And uh, yeah, you said it starts this week, so we'll see how long it takes to, to kind of go through the system, but definitely worth, uh, worth keeping an eye on. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Kyla. Always appreciate you taking the time to speak to me at the beginning of the week. And uh, yeah, today was no different, and I look forward to doing it again. Great. Thank you so much. Awesome. That was Acumen Laws. Kyla Lee. Coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking about a new hotel tax in the community of Merritt. City Council is set to move forward with steps to make sure they are implementing a permanent or mandatory hotel tax in the community. So I'll be talking with Will George about that after this. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday, November 18th. Thanks so much for tuning in. The city of Merritt is taking some steps to increase revenue and boost what is spent to increase tourism in the community. I'm joined now by a man who was supposed to be on with me last week, but I had some trouble writing down phone numbers, so thankfully he was able to uh, reschedule and is now set to appear here today. I'm joined on the phone now by Economic Development and Tourism Manager for the city of Merritt, Mr. Will George. Will, thanks so much for doing this. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. So we'll start off by talking about the new municipal regional district tax or or hotel tax, if you will. This is something that exists currently here in Kamloops, and now Merritt is looking to take the steps to implement one as well. So maybe explain what this tax is and and how it's going to benefit the community of Merritt. Yes, of course. So this is uh, the MRDT is the municipal and regional district 
hotel tax, um, which was established in the city of Merritt. Uh, it's very common among communities. There's around 50-plus communities in the province that has the hotel tax. And this is something that shows up on your bill as you check out of the hotel, um, and it ranges from 2 to 3%. Um, it was established in the city of Merritt before, and uh, there was just different different ideas for the structure of the tax. Uh, so in 2012, it wasn't renewed. Right now, we do have a tourism levy, which is a volunteer fee, which is collected by some of the hotels. But uh, a staff report was brought forward um, at the last council meeting to discuss reintroducing the hotel tax and working with some of our local partners and stakeholders in the tourism industry in Merritt to have everyone contributing to this tax and have more uh, funds for tourism initiatives and marketing and everything um, like that in the city of Merritt. Now, would this new tax, would that replace the volunteer fee, or, or could some hotels potentially collect both? So there are communities across the province that do collect both. It's not very common to have, have both in place. Uh, most have uh, uh, the MRDT in place. Uh, but right now, uh, council has directed the staff to explore options to reintroduce the MRDT and look at what structures are out there. So we're looking at, uh, you know, Camelot, for example. We're looking at Vernon. Um, we're looking at lots of different communities of how they implement the hotel tax how they collect this, and how the funds are distributed. So uh, in order to receive the tax, um, there has to be uh, a vote among the hotel owners in the community, and uh, there has to be lots of public consultation, as well as a one-year strategic plan and a five-year action plan. So there's lots of steps that need to happen, but this was something that we brought forward uh, to council, and they uh, approved that we explore options to um, review the uh, reintroducing the hotel tax. All right, so we're still in the infancy of this uh, potential new tax. Lots of work to be done between now and its actual full implementation. Uh, you mentioned a number of the steps that have to be taken to go about doing that. So I guess what is the potential timeline for when this could potentially go into effect? Do you have any ideas sort of uh, what, what time frame you're looking at at this point? Yeah, so part of the presentation uh, that, that was brought forward to Council was looking at an April 2020 uh, date to bring forward uh, some, of these, some of these options, uh, maybe a draft strategic plan, everything like that. Um, so that's between now and April is what we're, what we're looking at. Um, in December 2018, uh, the City of Merritt actually created a tourism asset mapping inventory. So this was something from the economic development plan and to look at tourism as a whole in the community and create a bit of a bit of a plan, see who all the partners are. So there have been steps uh, that have been taken, uh, and the next one will be uh, leading up to that April 2020 date. All right. And uh, you had mentioned, you know, 2 or 3% or, or something along those lines in terms of a potential figure that you'd be looking at and what hotels would charge on top of uh, their, their, their nightly rates. Um, any idea what the potential could be in terms of revenue for the, the tourism division in Merritt? I mean, we're talking uh, minimal amount when it comes to a, a per night, right? If someone were to come and stay in Merritt and they said, you know, spend $100 on a hotel for a night, that's only about $2. But obviously this, this adds up. So do you have any idea what the potential revenue would be for you guys? Yeah, of course. So that depends on uh, how much is charged per night uh, for the hotels, as well as the uh, total capacity that we're seeing um, on on average for the annual um, annual rooms uh, that, that folks are staying at. So uh, that ranges um, between you know a hundred thousand dollars that that could be collected from the MRDT all the way up to you know three hundred thousand. It depends on uh, how many folks are staying in the room rates and everything like that. But that's sort of the ballpark, and that's what we shared with council as well to say you know these are the numbers that uh, we could expect um, if all hotels were collecting the MRDT and uh, we were comparing that to, to other tourism 
models across the province and also sharing with council of how tourism is currently funded in the city of Merritt and um, you know which grants we apply for and uh, we could continue to apply for those grants but the MRDT is a nice base funding that most municipalities use uh, to fund tourism marketing initiatives. Mm-hmm. Always uh, always good to find creative ways to, to make additional revenue. Um, so what uh, kinds of things I guess would this money allow you guys to do? Maybe give some examples of how the tourism division of Merritt would use these funds because you mentioned you know 100,000 to 300,000 as potential um, amounts. I mean that's a pretty wide range of, of, of dollar figures so just what potentially could you guys do if you uh, were to collect these funds what what sort of initiatives would allow you to go out and explore yeah of course so um right now as i said we're looking at structures for for how this could be delivered so i will mention that um we shared with council um some municipalities uh, offer the marketing and uh, tourism support in-house and others uh, contract that out to another service provider um, sometimes it's a it's a committee a partnership so uh, we presented that forward and that's something that we'll also be presenting forward in april to see um, you know if we were to collect this mrdt who would be implementing the funds and the projects that it could go towards is uh, you know marketing initiatives and, and promotion materials creating videos to bring in more um, more tourists to, to stay at the hotels extending the length of stay and engaging with visitors in their pre-trip during trip and post-trip on on all avenues there so we see lots of people coming to merit for the music festivals and in the summer so we'd be focusing on on shoulder seasons and with uh with lots of that promotional material right on and uh just out of curiosity do you have any idea what uh, the number of stays are happening in merit at this point in time would you potentially have that information just uh, the number of, of hotels that are filled or the number of people that are are uh, you know coming to merit on an annual basis yeah, we don't have those numbers at this time, Jeff. Okay. Um, that's something that we're hoping to, um, you know, work with our hotels. And when we come back to council in April, um, we should be able to have more of a, a clear understanding of that. Um, and looking at the, the 16 hotels that um, could potentially be collecting this MRDT uh, and some more details. We wanted to receive direction from council if they want staff to continue to explore the options and work with some of the, the tourism partners and stakeholders to go down this avenue. Because there is it's quite a bit of uh, legwork that needs to happen before um, you know, we, we apply for that and lots of community um, engagement. So. All right on. Well, definitely be a, a, a subject I'll be paying attention to and sort of following and following up on to see kind of how the process is going. I'm here with Merritt's tourism manager, Will George. So there was some other things we wanted to talk about as well. We didn't just want to talk about the MRDT. Um, one thing you had mentioned to me earlier was uh, the Youth Advisory Committee that is being established. Can you maybe tell me about this Youth Advisory Committee? Why is this something that the community is excited to be putting together? Yes, of course. So this is part of a larger youth engagement campaign. Uh, Council recently went through uh, here at the City of Merritt their strategic planning to identify their strategic priorities. And it's quite exciting because they have six strategic priorities to address as the now items and six for the next. So as those now items get checked off, then the next items will be moving up to their their place there. So one of the items on the now uh, category is uh, to create a a Merit Youth Advisory Committee. So this advisory committee was approved by council and right now we're seeking uh, applicants in the Nicola Valley to apply for this, um, including uh, an applicant from the Nicola Valley Institute of Technology, the Merit uh, Secondary School, and then other individuals in the Nicola Valley from age 14 to 24. Now this Youth Advisory Committee will keep Council informed on important matters to Council, uh, advocate for youth initiatives and issues, and also to seek input from youth in the community and report back to Council if there's particular projects they, that they feel are top priorities. So we're looking um, to establish this and it will be uh, quite, quite valuable for youth to gain leadership experience and then also have an understanding of 
how the city operates and bring youth issues forward. And uh, one other program you guys are looking at as well is, uh, you know, I, I don't have a name for it off the t- uh, written down here, but, uh, you know, you were talking about a program to put money basically into the hands of young people so they can go about uh, and explore ways of becoming entrepreneurs. Can you tell me a little bit about this program as well? Because uh, it's a good way, to, I think, to get youth engaged and thinking about starting a business. Yes, of course. So this is the Merit uh, Youth Entrepreneurship Program, and this was a program that we received grant f- funding for, uh, for last year as well as this year. So this is the second year that we're running it. And the main point of this program is to put funding into the hands of the youth in the Nicola Valley to start their own businesses and to learn about entrepreneurship. So the City of Merit's partnering with uh, uh, Work BC and partnering with School District 58 as well as Community Futures Nicola Valley to help deliver this program. And um, there's training that's, that occurs for the youth to learn about entrepreneurship and then they receive some base funding to start their own businesses. So it's quite exciting to be able to provide that service and to um, go into the schools and uh, assist youth with learning about entrepreneurship and provide a little seed funding as well for that. Mm-hmm. Now, so between that, I mean, you're looking at this uh, youth entrepreneurship program, you have the youth advisory council here, or sorry, youth advisory committee. Um, how important do you think it is to get youth involved in these kinds of uh, activities and, and sort of having this engagement with, with uh, municipal officials and, and being able to provide some feedback to city council or, or in, the, in the entrepreneurship case to be able to look at potentially starting a business and what could work in the city of Merritt and maybe that is a viable option for them as something they want to do, uh, you know, when they are looking to uh, find work. Maybe it is start their own business and something that might work in the community of Merritt would be something that they would explore as a result of these kinds of programs. So can you maybe put into words just how important it is to get the youth in your community engaged in these kinds of activities and what it means for the future of the community? Yeah, it's quite important to us. And I mean, it was identified in council strategic priorities to have youth engagement. So we're exploring multiple avenues in order to, to address that. So whether it's through the Merit Youth Advisory Committee, uh, the Merit Entrepreneurship Program, and then we also have a Snow Angels Program that connects youth that are looking for volunteer hours with seniors in our community uh, for snow clearing services there. So it's a multi-phase approach, and we found instead of pacing these out where we were launching them all at the same time, so then when we're going into the schools, when we're talking with the Nicola Valley Institute of Technology, that we're sharing all these and uh, showing what platforms youth can be involved as well as um, learn some, some leadership skills and some, some structure of how, how local government works and um, share that uh, information there. So it's, it's uh, critically important. And I mean, we want youth in the Nicola Valley to, to know that they have a place to, to stay after they graduate high school. And there's lots of, lots of opportunities at uh, the Nicola Valley Institute of Technology. And uh, we're looking to, to diversify the economy. And that's, uh, that's how it gets done through our youth. Good stuff, Will. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I uh, apologize again for yesterday, but I'm glad it was all able to work out today. So thank you so much for taking the time. Definitely some interesting information and some new programs for people to look into. So uh, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Excellent. Thanks for having me on there, Jeff. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. That was Will George, the Economic Development and Tourism Manager for the City of Merritt. Coming up after the break, I will be joined by Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane to break down a one-and-one weekend. I'll have more on that after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Monday, November the 18th. And as always, thanks so much for tuning in. The uh, 
Kamloops Blazers. They had a so-so weekend, if you will, going 1-1 one and one with a win on Friday night here at home over Prince George, followed by a loss on the road on Saturday night in Kelowna. I'm joined now by Blazers play-by-play -play announcer John Keane to help break it all down. John, thanks so much for, for uh, coming on. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Up yourself. Oh, so far so good. You know, um, busy week here ahead with uh, a Wednesday home game and then uh, up to Prince George for, for a couple, so the team will be uh, busy here for sure. Yeah, it looks like that schedule is really starting to ramp up. Uh, you know, that big Sean Cluson was on here earlier today saying uh, all, every week has like three to four games now, so it's uh, definitely getting to that busy part of the schedule. Um, let's just start by taking a quick look back here to Friday night here at home. So at the Sandman Center, the uh, Kamloops Blazers were able to come away with a one nothing win over Prince George. I guess, uh, you know, it wasn't the most uh, exciting of games. I was in attendance, but there was uh, still quite a bit of action to, to, to watch. So I guess, what did you see in this one? Uh, it was, uh, like you said, one nothing. so so not, uh, not a ton of scoring to see, but still an entertaining game. Yeah, you know, it was a big crowd, uh, and that was great to see because, um, you know, the, the fans are, are coming out here to be excited about everything here, and that's awesome. So uh, it was a game where I think the Blazers, for the most part, were in control, just uh, lacked that scoring finish and give credit to Taylor Goche in the, in the Cougars crease. He was pretty good when he had to be as well. And, you know, let's take nothing away from Race Ramsey because uh, Race was pretty good too, right? Like he is a guy that, you know, has to kind of get his starts and, and, and doesn't get a lot. So when he does get them, he has to take full advantage of them you know and I thought he did that for sure with you know with uh, making the, the saves he had so he stopped the penalty shot as well so you know he, he did his job and and uh, you know it's funny how the only goal that uh, that goes in is from a really weird angle almost uh, behind the net uh, to kick off the third period and, and lo and behold that was enough for the win yeah, sometimes that's the way it goes, right? The the ugly ones are the only ones that go. Um, yeah, let's, let's go back to goaltending there for a second. Race Ramsey, uh, you know, getting his first shutout, uh, you know, kind of almost, I don't want to say forced into action, but uh, was playing as a result of, you know, the the, the WHL taking on, uh, you know, playing their games here uh, last week. There was a couple of players from Kamloops out as well. Connor Zeri was unable to play on Friday night uh, just because of the whole, you can't play four games in four nights. So you could say that uh, Kamloops was a little bit shorthanded, if you will, on Friday night, but uh, the, obviously so no excuses were made there and, and they were able to still come out with the victory I guess what did, what did you see sort of from some of the players that maybe um, you know uh, aren't uh, aren't necessarily counted on to be the star guys but did have to step up there well you know still there's a lot of depth with this team still uh, and they can survive you know, losing a guy like Connor Zary and things like that. That you know, a long term in a series, would you want to be without Connor Zary? No, but but there's enough depth here to go around. And it's you know, it's funny they they cycled a bunch of different centers through there. They started with Logan Stankoven. We saw you know different players step up on that line here, just trying to look for a bit of a fit that was going to work for everybody. But you know, this team, even Ray Ramsey, let, let's take nothing away from him. There's a lot of confidence in him and the organization. Uh, and actually, if you go back to last season. Uh, his shutout streak on home ice now is over 154 minutes. So uh, he he is a guy that uh, might get some of the lesser opponents. Uh, you know, will he face off against, you know, the, the Kelowna's, the Vancouver's? Well, maybe not yet. But uh, when there's been opponents like uh, Swift Current, like Prince George, he's come in and he's shut the door both times this season. So there is, you know, a lot of faith. Uh, in his ability, and uh, Dylan Duran can't go every game and every night, and he has played a lot, and he's played pretty well. So, you know, there is enough depth here to go around, even in the crease and all uh, parts of the game, and, you know, it's nice to see some of these other players step up when called upon. 
Well, uh, let's let's look ahead here to, or sorry, not ahead. I guess we're still looking back when we look at Saturday night. But it was uh, a, an interesting game in Kelowna. Uh, Kelowna was able to get their first win over the Blazers this season with the 4-3 victory. So uh, the Blazers, uh, that was their first loss to Kelowna. So out of five tries, the Blazers are still 4-1. So definitely still dominating the season series. But uh, Kelowna was able to, to get one. And it did make a bit of a dent when it comes to them trying to catch Kamloops in the standings in the BC division now. I believe uh, there's six points separating them, if I can remember off the top of my head so still a little bit of a, a gap but uh, that definitely closed uh, on Saturday night so uh, what, what did you see here on Saturday that uh, you know um, the Blazers just weren't weren't quite able to pull this one out yeah you know they they weren't at their best uh, they looked a little tired compared to Kelowna based on the fact Kelowna had Friday night off the Blazers played and these back-to-backs I mean you know I know you're a Leaf fan so you know what I'm talking about they're tough when Kelowna you know didn't play the night before uh, and taking nothing away from Kelowna's game they are the team that had all the motivation for that one, right? I mean, they lost. Their last game was a, a loss against the Blazers on Remembrance Day. You know, things got a little ugly, uh, you know, in, in that game. And, you know, and they practiced all week uh, based on, you know, breaking down video, trying to find a ways. I mean, their whole focus all week was Kamloops for the Blazers. You know, their focus was, you know, they had to host Prince George, and then they, you know, had to go back into Kelowna here. And, and when you beat a team, you know, 10 straight times, all the motivation, you know, is on that other side. So, you know, they got into a situation where they were tied 3-3 going into the third period, and they're probably thinking, like, hey, if we play hard, if we can just empty the tank here for one period, you know, we may be able to get this monkey off our back. And, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. Callous media hasn't really talked much about the streak and about the dominance of it. I'm sure there's been a little bit of that, but you won't really read about it in the newspaper or, or, you know, find out, you know, much about it online. But in Kelowna, a a lot of the media outlets there are all like, what's going on? This has been 10 straight losses. You know, that streak was kind of really pushed into them the last little while. And, and, uh, and, and that's kind of a bit embarrassing, I think for Kelowna to be in that spot, at least, you know, for their fan base to be like, you know, we're, we're used to, you know, a certain level of, of dominance here, and it's turned the tables here a little bit. So, yeah, they, they had all the motivation in the world, and, you know, they found a way, uh, you know, with about six minutes to go, 6-14, to, to find the, the, the go-ahead goal, and, you know, they were able to ride that out for the 4-3 win. What what are your thoughts on the Rockets here? I mean, don't have a ton of time left, but I'm just curious. I mean, this is a team that's getting set to host the Memorial Cup this year and really hasn't looked all that great, and I'm sure they had a lot of expectations coming into the season. And, and I know their point totals are, are kind of starting to, to write, write themselves a little bit. They don't look uh, quite as bad as they did a week or two ago, but at the same point in time, they're, they're, they have struggled here. I guess just do you, do you think this is a team that looks like it's ready to compete for a Memorial Cup right now? I mean, there's still a lot of time left to go, but just uh, you know, it doesn't seem like they've gotten the start they wanted. You know, I think the question will be answered after January 10th, the trade deadline. And, and there is moves to be made there for Kelowna. They're probably adding two minimum, uh, maybe three, maybe even a fourth. But uh, it comes down to prices. And right now it sounds like you know, there's a lot of teams not really willing to budge on their players because they haven't really sorted out where they're at either yet. So you know, they, they want to find out where they're at. And, and Kelowna is probably kicking a lot of tires and, and trying to find some, some players. I mean, yeah, you're hosting. And they already made one big acquisition where they blew out a couple of first-round picks there uh, in the summer to uh, in the Batham draft to pick up uh, a, a couple players from Seattle and Dylan Hamilick and Jake Lee and goaltender Cole Srebius. But 
with that said, uh, there's more moves to come. And, you know, it's almost one of those games of chicken right now. Who will outweigh who? I'm sure when the Rockets come knocking for someone's top players, well, if they get the Memorial Cup premium price. I mean, they get, you know, uh, price plus 20% here. You know, it's almost like, you know, you go, you're a tourist in Mexico and, you know, they see you coming down the, the way there and they're like, okay, let's start the bidding really high here. You want this sombrero? It's going to cost, you know, a thousand pesos. Well, yeah, yeah. It's later out, you might be able to get it for 200. So we'll wait and see what happens. Right on, John. Well, good stuff. Thanks so much for coming on, and we'll uh, look ahead to the call on Wednesday night in Seattle. Thanks for doing this. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Talk to you soon. Right on. That was Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keen. Well, that about wraps up my show here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me, and of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.